welcome to the worst bestsellers where we read about the dangers of drugs so you don't have to i'm renata and i'm kate and for this episode we read go ask alice by anonymous joining us to discuss this totally true diary of a real teenage human is (laughs) becca a total square who read a lot of books about heroin addicts when she was 14 hi becca not saying it's a good thing but it is a true thing <laughs> among us uh, like becca, this book <laughs> becca also is the editor of our podcast and a and a frequent and beloved guest of the podcast <laughs> in addition to her expertise in fictional heroin addicts <laughs> um god i feel like there's so much we should say at the top so of this much. episode okay well okay so first of all, um, if you are a member of our Patreon, one of your Patreon perks is that you get to um, once a year vote in a poll on what book we should read, and and we'll read that book. And so this was this year's um, this was this year's Patreon choice. Um, thank you, patrons, for for everything, but especially for this book, which was goofy as hell. Um, but also it was goofy as hell and it also requires some content warnings for, I mean, kind of for everything for, for drug abuse, for sexual assault, for, um, I mean, a lot of problematic 70s shit. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, I would say even more so than like drug use and, drug use itself for very problematic ideas about drug use and recovery Mm -hmm. that if you are a person who is in recovery like obviously this book is garbage and I think we're going to talk a lot about how garbage it is but you know we will also be talking about the content which is people pretty much having very backwards ideas about how substance use works and how addiction works and how humans deal with this. So yeah. sorry in advance. It's it's a bad take, Mary. Yes. Uh, recovery is nonlinear and drug use, substance use at all is not a moral failing. And yeah, this is, this book is wild. And we, and we have learned a lot since 1971 when this book was published. We have. We as a society. Um, and then the other thing that just for contextually, because I, I still am like punch drunk, even though I'm sober now. We are recording this on what today is today? November 8th. Uh-huh. Um, yes, November 8th, which is uh, the day after Joe Biden reached 270 electoral votes. And we're all just a little, <laughs> I shouldn't speak for all of us. I was going to say, some more than others, maybe, but. Yeah, well, some of us had a, a little bit of wild day celebrating yeah. yesterday. Uh, I'm still, I'm still feeling tense. I'm still like, I'm excited, but I'm also like n- nervous a little bit. I don't want to, I don't want to get into it, but I'm still like, I feel like until january 20th i'm still like i don't know what could happen i don't know what the fuck i don't know but also also it is exciting and also just because by the time this comes out like who the fuck knows like yeah. maybe who knows what will have happened and exactly I, <laughs> so but just you know in case, like the biggest barrier <laughs> we, we've crossed that first barrier yes, yes, of at least yes. we didn't all vote for this asshole again <laughs> yes 
Yeah. And so we've got the votes. Now we've got a long road, many kinds of long roads ahead of us. But yesterday was still a good day for a lot of people. Yes. And I think a lot of people embrace that as they should before putting our heads back down and getting back to work. Yes. Anyway, so that's the timeline. I feel like because we've been recording these episodes so far in advance in this year, 2020, where everything changes every 35 seconds, this has been a long year of us saying, we're recording this at this point, and this has just happened, but we don't know what's going to be happening by the time you're listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of fun when it was like, oh, and... um. There's just been a restraining order filed against this reality television personality instead of, like, I don't know, maybe thousands of people will die or, like, whatever. <laughs> like, that was sort of a, a more shallow breaking news, although still upsetting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if fun is the word I'd use to describe it, but... I mean, just comparatively... Slightly like, lower stakes, that's yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, still not fun for the woman being harassed or whatever. Um but just comparatively, compared sure, to some of sure. the other breaking news we've had this year. Yeah. Or like early in core when we were like, oh, well, like there's a stay at home order because this coronavirus thing is happening. So I don't know if that'll still be happening by the time you listen to this. <laughs> Those sweet summer children who believed oh. that. <laughs> oh. uh, speaking of sweet summer children. So this book, I think, I mean, this was far and away the most popular Uh, book in our poll and I know it's one that a lot of people like it's just sort of an enduring kind of thing that's it's been in print for like a 40 something year like it's just still popular um it's still at least when I was selling books like 10 years ago now so who knows because time is weird it was still regularly assigned as a summer reading book Mm -hmm. in at least where I lived in New Jersey at the time which was now that I have read it, like even at the time I kind of like side-eyed it. But like now that I've read it, I'm like, that was certainly a choice that some teacher made, many teachers actually, it turns out. But so if if you're not familiar or maybe like you read it when you were a kid and then you sort of like mentally deleted it, um, it, it purports to be the real found diary of an anonymous person whose name is not Alice, but I, I kind of kept thinking of her as Alice just because it's the name of the book. But, you know, it's a reference to Alice in Wonderland slash to Jefferson Airplane, I guess. Anyway. (laughs) Still a real move to put a character actually called Alice in for like half a second toward the end of the book. Like, why? (laughs) Yeah. Confusing. Um, Anyway, so it's, it's supposedly this diary of a teenage girl but who we actually know was written by beatrice sparks which also sounds like a fake name um who was a mormon youth counselor and then knowing that i feel like puts a lot of whack things into a different perspective like oh okay like that's the mormon coming out (laughs) that's the youth counselor coming out that's the grown-ass adult coming out here yeah, it is. So it, it's told like a diary, and it is very much like a warning tool for kids about the dangers of drugs mm-hmm. in a way that is, it is just like reading it as an adult in 2010. It is so comically obviously not a teen. Mm-hmm. 
that I, I just can't, oh, can I share, let me share the greatest thing, and we'll link to this perhaps on, um, I'm going to type for a second, in the show notes. And, and, and at this time, I should say also that, like, other, because this is so enduring, I mean, the comedian Paul F. Tompkins has a really funny bit about this book, um, Daniel Lavery has a really funny, I think, multiple, actually, pieces on the toast about go ask alice like we're for sure not the first people to point out how whack this book is and i doubt that we'll be the last so if you go to go ask alice on amazon and you read the reviews the first picture in the photos attached to reviews is a picture of what looks like a poster of a like young emo blonde girl with her arms crossed that says drugs make you unsmarter (laughs) so seeing that picture i went on to read the review that this person had wrote assuming it was a joke and it is not it is in fact written by the author of a real book that exists i self-published i think called drugs make you one smarter Mm -hmm. um where she reacts to this book as if it is actually written by a teenager and as if it is a purely accurate portrait of what happens when kids are tempted into using drugs and how it's a real, you know, important story for kids to read because, you know, then they'll know the dangers of drugs and they won't do drugs anymore. This review was written less than 10 years ago. And I like, I can't get over it. I'm obsessed with it. And I will make sure that we link to it because like, you just need to see the photo of this book cover. It's wild. And that's all I wanted to say before I forgot. It's also just funny because I'm sure we'll get into this in many different ways. But my takeaway from this book was not that drugs are bad. (laughs) She seems to love drugs a lot and she does have a very bad trip, but also somebody dosed her like Mm -hmm. she didn't know that she was consuming it and how much and like (laughs) and all her problems really stem from all her shitty friends and not necessarily from drugs yeah Yeah, i think the real yeah teens are bad drugs are (laughs) neutral Um, drugs can, can cause your friends to hate you which i guess is absolutely true but it was a weird it was a weird take there's two. Uh, there's a couple of factors that uh, that influence me reading this, which is one that it's the year 2020, and two that I'm like a very boring person who has never done drugs, um, and, and and this is something like to me as a teen, I just hung out with the most nerdy like honor society clique, and and so this is something where I've had with other things where there are. Um, you know, teen books that are like, oh, this is so realistic. And, you know, of course, all teens are having sex and drinking and doing drugs. And I'm like, we absolutely were not. We were not drinking because that is illegal. Like, drugs, are you kidding me? That's so illegal. We were absolutely like, we are going to go and sit in someone's basement and play board games and we will be home by 11 o'clock. And like, and we just were like that. And so... And so I know I understand fully that other teens were not doing that, but I'm also like I don't actually know what they were doing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I same hard same. And the other thing, which we may have talked about on this podcast before, but like obviously, well, maybe not obviously if you're younger or older than us, but um, all three of us went through the school system. I think when Dare was a thing, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
um, which was a program, I don't know if it's still running, run by police departments where officers would come into the school and tell kids that drugs are bad. And, you know, like once a month or whatever, would like talk to every class in the school about like the dangers of drugs and like make people do skits about like saying no and how like peer pressure was going to make us all into like drug users and all this stuff. And in my actual experience as a human out in the world, and especially as a human who is like a deep people pleaser, um, I have never been peer pressured into doing drugs or drinking. I knew many people throughout high school and early college before I, I started drinking who were doing those things and would occasionally say like, hey, like, do you want whatever they had? And I would say, not really. And they would say, oh, okay, that's fine. And move on. Like, essentially, the thought is more drugs and alcohol for me. Like, I, the idea that <laughs> and these people are so mad that this girl isn't doing drugs that they're like, we're going to ruin her life because she won't do drugs anymore. Like, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Drugs cost money. Like, why are you going to waste your drugs like this? <laughs> you know what I mean, it's not like, oh, I, I don't know. Like, a friend of mine had acquired a bunch of temporary tattoos of that were like bible themed and for a while she would just like you would walk away and find like 50 bible themed temporary tattoos in your bag and you're like haha i guess like i didn't notice her like sneaking her weird bible tattoos in my bag <laughs> um but those were you know those were i think free to her or very cheap like i get it if you are gonna like slip something in somebody's possessions and it's free but like drugs are not free what are you doing what, do you think pot grows on trees? <laughs> <laughs> so that said, I mean, this reads, this has a very, like, greetings, fellow kids vibe to it with the slang. And some of that, I think, maybe is just, you know what, Becca, I'm I'm excited to talk to you about this, but I'm realizing now that really we should have had the guest be my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now it's too late, but... Um, <laughs> I genuinely feel like I should do a follow-up with my mom and be like, hey, mom, were you guys calling people dopey dopers in the <laughs> 70s or no? Uh, were you guys calling the mental hospital the freak wharf or? <laughs> Honestly, all this like about like <laughs> that I bought <laughs> because no one's really ever used kind words to describe that place or sensitive words. <laughs> Yeah, but Freak Wharf? Listen, maybe it's on a pier. You don't know. (laughs) You don't know because you don't know what city it is because they took all the city names out and then some names, but not all the names. So you could still find exactly what shop she worked at in San Francisco with that nice man because they gave his full name. That's true. It made no sense what they cut out and what they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, they did give his full name. That's super weird. Yep. Because um, it's not real. That's why. I mean, <laughs> she right. didn't think, she didn't think, oh, I have to protect this person's identity because he's quote unquote real. She fully fabricated everything about it. Whereas in her head, she's like, I know New York City is a real place. Let me make sure no one knows that they're going to work at a university in New York City. Um, so let's, let's kind of get into, because I feel like we're going to have a lot to say about things that are actually contained within the book. Um, as we, we get through it. Um, so it is, it is told in diary format and it starts, um, 
in it, September. But this book takes place over just one calendar year, and like seven hundred thousand million things happen in this year. I think it's, it's like eighteen months, but yeah, it's September to September. Well, it can't be September to September. We'll 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 see it, how it. It is September to September. Kate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. <sighs> Because I, I feel like she goes through Christmas twice, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's two calendars. It's September to September. Okay. To September. okay. okay. <laughs> That's what I was like. I know there are two Christmases. You don't know about Anyways. second Christmas? They got rid of it in 1981. <laughs> <laughs> the war on Christmas has been one baby. Now you only get wild. one Christmas every two years. Getting wild. <laughs> anyway, so it's September. The narrator is very upset. She just bought this new diary to start like this great new chapter of her life when she starts dating this boy Roger who she's been in love with for years. But then he stands her up on a date and she's too embarrassed to go to school because she'll have to tell all her friends that Roger who she's in love with go didn't st- stood her up for this date um mm-hmm. and also she has gained weight and she's so fat now she's just like the fattest ugliest person in the world um and but then she finds out that her dad got a new job as the dean of political science at blank university mm-hmm. wow yes. good for uh, him that's prestigious <laughs> Uh, so she's like oh no like this is great i'm gonna lose weight i'm gonna be like really hot and have all the best clothes and i'll go to this new school and everyone will be like ah like that glamorous new girl and then roger will like fuck off and die and i won't even care Mm -hmm. so really like the first drug that she dabbles with is just eating disorder yeah Mm. like it briefly it's there's i mean this book throughout is very fat shamey in a way that's it's casual and it's like gross but it's not necessarily out of line even for books now it's maybe not necessarily out of line for it to be so casual like oh i'm a lumpy lard like whatever okay bridget jones but (laughs) she um yeah it becomes briefly the sort of like eating disorder diary she's like i had 400 calories today and you're like uh uh not cool mom made me breakfast because she thinks i'm getting sick because i've lost so much weight and i was so mad at her that she made me eat a piece of toast and a single egg yeah um, but so, then they do move. Um, so in January of that year that they move. Um, so there's like four months of just sort of eating disorder and moping about how they're going to have to move. But for now, she's still at this old school and she's not popular and it sucks. And then she moves to the new school and she's also not popular there, unfortunately. Um, and she is miserable and has no friends. And uh, then her mother tells her, well, if you, I promise that if you um, get your grades up, you can go spend the summer with your grandmother and grandpa in our old town. And you can like see your old friends again. And she's like, okay, well, that's like sort of something to look forward to. Uh, But then of course, she meets a new girl almost immediately after that named Beth. And the two of them within literally 10 days are best friends who are telling each other all of their secrets, which maybe I don't really remember that happening a lot when I was 16, but maybe it did happen to other people. I I mean, I think your teen years, you can have these sort of like instant fast friendships like Mm -hmm. it can happen. Yeah, I was maybe more cagey and shy than most people. So, that to me of all the things in this book that were unrealistic i was like yeah I buy yeah, it. yeah 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 um and this again to me is also where like the mormon jumped out a little bit because her new friend beth is jewish and then we get this like lengthy description of judaism and like oh i thought they'd be like really different but they're like not so different but you yeah. know 
there's a lot of like going into how her new friend Beth like can only date the sons of other Jewish boy of Jew, other Jewish families that her mother sets her up with, but that like she's gonna set the narrator up with a Jewish boy because Jewish boys will just be so excited to date someone who isn't Jewish and it's it's a little it's a whole little weird thing that happens that still we have not even gotten to the drug part yet um <laughs> no. yeah this book took a little while to get into the drugs yeah so she Beth has to so go so much to summer- of it is like reading this ha- I read it before when I was like 13 or 14 I can't remember if it was part of assigned summer reading or if I happened upon it myself in my books about heroin addicts that I was reading apparently mm-hmm. um but like reading it now, there's such deliberate literary devices happening that are so clearly employed by Beatrice Sparks that I don't feel would necessarily happen the way they do if you were to write this diary. Because and like you said, she she writes like she's a 40-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. And I mean, part of it is like this is set in the late 60s. Obviously, there's a different mentality. There's different expectation for a 16-year-old girl uh where you are you are to become a wife and a mother and that is what your goal is and obviously so much of the 60s is about pushing it back against so many ideas of the establishment as this book tells us but like when they're talking about moving my favorite thing like i laughed out loud is she's there's this other family that they know that's gonna buy their house and they have like all boys and she's so upset thinking about these boys living in her house and running on the white carpet with their dirty shoes and i'm like no 15 year old gives a shit about that what are you talking about (laughs) also she's writes very like all the entries in the beginning are dated all the entries start with like dear diary or my dearest friend diary there's no swears there's no slang it's so i mean there is slang it's just like weird is it in the beginning like what i don't know i have to look I don't. I mean, it's fine. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just didn't notice it at much, and it definitely got much. Not so much slang. It's just like weird phrases. I don't know. And it's just very much like. Obviously, I've not read other people's diaries, but I did, you know, briefly keep one. And I know, yeah, I read everyone's live journals and Zangas. Yeah. And, like, no one wrote like that. Like, no one's writing the same phrase four times over with an exclamation point that's just like, oh, how I wish I could be good. Oh, how I... Like, like just this weird chirpy it's chirpy (laughs) chirpy another thing where you know the adult woman is apparent is how even when she's complaining about her parents she is so sympathetic also to the parents like uh i hate them they're ruining my life but i suppose they just want what's best for me right (laughs) (laughs) okay like yeah i'm sure that they do in your in this fictional family, of course, eh? but um, you know, even though teens can have certainly broad, broad in mind, they can they can start to to feel that way, to start to understand that their parents are like adult humans. But you, it is a learning process, like, mm-hmm. and you're in, you're not gonna have it in the midst of your like whining. Like, I feel like it'd be the next day or whatever. Like, oh, I guess. I guess. Right. But she just immediately, every time, is like, oh, but they they want what's best for me. Yeah. But I bring this up because there's a very deliberate shift that happens throughout the book yeah. and then shifts again. 
Yeah, and you're right. She's not really using slang early on. It's just like, it's just so weird and clunky. Like, I feel like for different definitions of slang, like she is definitely using like phrasing and words that were popular in the time period, but there definitely becomes a point where she is very clearly using like hippie slang. Yes. Yes. And when that starts, that's when like her, she says man at the dinner table and her parents are like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so prior to that, we're in July and she's at her grandparents' house and she bumps into an old friend in town um, who's one of the popular girls and is like, Oh, like, Hey, how are you liking your new school? I'm having a party tonight. Um, do you want to come? And she's like, sure, I guess. Um, and is like really excited. This popular girl invited her to a party. And when she gets to the party, they're like, oh, we're, we're going to play a game. And they get we're all gonna handed. Play who, we're going to play who's got the button, um, which I, which is a game. Actually, my grandma, I think, tried to teach me. Not the, not this version. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because and the narrator's I- like, oh, cool. But then they give her a drink and she's like, oh, I guess we're not going to play the game. But then it turns out that the game was they had put 10 tabs of LSD into the drink. So 10 people were going on a trip, but they didn't know who it was. <laughs> but of course she got one. Yes. And she was, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to her. She was so excited immediately. Like the next day, she's like, I can't wait to try pot. Uh, but only one time. Cause like, I'm never going to do this again, but it was amazing. It was the greatest Hang thing that's I ever happened the to me. Quote. I want to read this exact quote because it's so nuts. <laughs> it's very good. The day after LSD, I simply can't, can't wait to try pot only once i promise i simply have to see if it's everything that it's cracked up not to be all the things i've heard about lsd were obviously written by uninformed ignorant people like my parents who obviously don't know what they're talking about unlike me a real teenage girl writing in my real diary (laughs) (laughs) it's throughout the book like this is and i understand that like back then the idea the like because like so many people were smoking pot and like there was such a like crackdown on it there was all this propaganda that like oh it's terrible it'll ruin your life whatever in 2020 living in a state where marijuana is legal (laughs) and i can literally walk up the street from my house and buy a bag of marijuana gummies for you know obscenely inflated prices because there's a 25 percent tax on it here so that they can fix the roads hopefully um like (laughs) it's potholes it's just so wild to me to think that you know that this this is that it's held up as like the hardest drug that like this girl does so many other things before she does pot because like pot's just like the worst and she's not she's not sure she's ready to dip her toe into that but she does a whole i have um in in daniel lavery's piece about it he has written at this point we are expected to believe that even a single human being has tried the following drugs in the following order one lsd two speed three benzos four quote various uppers and downers five Injected speed. Six, acid. <laughs> Seven, tranquilizers. Eight, marijuana. <laughs> yeah, and like even even in D.A.R.E., they talk of, you know, like in D.A.R.E., pot was always like the gateway drug. Like LSD was not the gateway drug. Yeah. yeah the drug just... hierarchy is bonkers in this book. And which, because like the only thing that like 
that she and we agree on is that like heroin is super bad. Don't do heroin. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, everything else is on the table except pot is rough stuff. Just do LSD instead. And it's like, it's just, I, of of all of the, the drugs listed here, the only one I've done recreationally is pot. I, like, obviously I have had various medicated, prescribed by a doctor, sedatives um, over the years because I have depression and anxiety. So yes, I do have, you know, a stash of Ativan given to me by my doctor. But like the, so I, I can't talk, speak to her description of the trips that she goes on with the other drugs. But the way she describes what it's like having smoked marijuana is wild i'm sure we'll get to it but it's just like what is happening what are you are you sure you did the right drug (laughs) Ooh, twist! i thought that my jokes were much funnier and my friends also thought that my jokes were much funnier and then i went home and went to sleep (laughs) like i don't know Anyway, so we're in July and she's just done drugs for the first time. And then she immediately does like three more types of drugs because the kids she's hanging out with are like, oh, also we do these drugs. So within a month, she's done like four drugs. She's done torpedoes, which I meant to Google what that is. I don't even know. She's done (laughs) torpedoes and she's done speed. And then grandpa has an unrelated heart attack. (laughs) So she uh, decides, um, once he has the heart attack, she's like, oh, like, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to do drugs anymore. I'm not going to hang out with those kids. I'm going to stay around the house and help out with my grandparents. And then this weird thing happens where, like, her parents are like, oh, but aren't you going to come home? And she's like, no, I think I should stay a little while longer to help out. And then once the kids are trying to get her to do more drugs and she loses her virginity while high to one of the kids and she's like i want to come home now her parents and grandparents are like no you have to keep staying indefinitely until the end of the summer to help around the house which was just like a very weird yeah um but she does not a lot of continuity to the family politics yes um but she does lose her virginity to this kid uh, while high and then she's terrified because what if she's pregnant mm-hmm. and then not long after that she bumps into Roger again and Roger like admits that he uh, felt really bad about like standing her up and that he always had feelings for her and he's going to like a military school but they should write each other and they kiss and she feels so bad that she gave her virginity away to some rando boy when she had in her heart been saving it for Roger all this time. And like couldn't comprehend like there's so much dedicated to I can't even comprehend sleeping with another person who wouldn't be Roger. I can't imagine losing my virginity to anyone who isn't Roger. This kid who stood her up. Get better friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she she goes back home eventually, and and, and there's a lot of like, oh, thank goodness I'm not pregnant. Like I'll never do drugs again. Like I've, I've thrown so much away, but now I have another chance. Well, because even before she finds out she isn't pregnant, she is freaking out over the pregnancy thing. So she steals her grandfather's sleeping pills, then makes her mother take her to the doctor to get more sleeping pills. But then also, I think, uppers because she is 
like sleeping too much and she needs to like be aware and awake to do things around the house or whatever. But then when she gets her period, she's like, Oh, like I'm done with drugs forever. Now, like I've learned my lesson and throws away like all of her prescriptions. Yes. And which by the way, so reading this in the week of, of the election, I was like, Ooh, can I do this? Can I just get a bunch of tranquilizers and sleep this week away? Cause that sounds choice. I mean, I did kind of do that. (laughs) It It didn't help as much as you would think. It was kind of the only part of the story that I was like, this seems like a a logical place for this part of her drug journey to fall. Like, if this book were to be written now, like, maybe she'd smoke pots with her friends, and then she'd be experimenting with prescription drugs that she could get her hands on, whether prescribed to her or not, because, like, that's what kids can get. Like, also, mm-hmm. like, I know it was, like, the late 60s, but how do you buy LSD? What the fuck? What? <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Apparently you find a teenager hanging out in an elementary school and oh ask gosh. her for it. <laughs> I guess. Who knew? <laughs> so uh she gets her period she's ecstatic beth comes back from camp but beth got a boyfriend at camp and now all she wants to do is spend time with him so like they're not close anymore but the narrator does start like hanging out downtown and there's like a cute little boutique she likes to buy things from and there is a girl named chris who works there who she starts to become friends with and chris gets her a job there and they start doing drugs together um and they meet two boys who are their dealers who are in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but they tell their parents that they're in high school, uh, that they're 18 and they're in high school still. And in order to, I, I can't even remember, I'm not quite sure what the thought line of this was, because I don't believe it was in order to pay for the drugs, they made them sell drugs. I think for whatever reason, they were just like, oh, well, you're in high school. Sell drugs for us there. Yeah. And I think some of us, like, they're in college and they're busy and, like, we're not in college Mm. yet. They have to do classes. They can't run their drug empire. (laughs) Yeah. So Chris and the narrator start. Actually, hang on. Let me read this exact quote. Ted and Richie are in college and they have to work a lot harder than we do in high school. So they don't have the time to sell. (laughs) And besides, it's a lot easier for guys to get busted than girls. At first, it was pretty hard to keep my cool around the establishment, but since I'm now Richie's chick all the way, I have to do what I can to help him. <laughs> oh my god, it's just, it's so much. This is literally, like, it's literally a month after the pregnancy scare slash throwing away all of her prescription medications. Yes. Um, and then also, um, so first they're selling pot for Ted and Richie, and then the narrator's like, actually be easier if we could sell acid because then we can just put it on stamps which i'm like oh yeah i've i've seen that in movies (laughs) this is a more portable drug so it'll be easier to sell and i'm like i mean i guess i don't know do you get this from the same place like they switch instantly (laughs) um also here's another quote um richie is so good 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 to me and sex with him is like lightning and rainbows in springtime <laughs> and part of that sentence i could maybe buy that a teenager wrote but part of that sentence makes me go what <laughs> because who writes he's so good 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 to me. uh this girl yeah um, but also there's there is trouble in paradise because 
Richie, she and Richie always have to be high to have sex, and she like wants to have sex with him, not on drugs sometimes, just to see what it's like. Yeah. Um, she also, as we alluded to, when um, starts selling drugs, not just at the middle school, but at the elementary school. And she does feel like kind of bad about it, but not bad enough to not sell drugs to a nine-year-old. Like the whole time, she's like, who would fucking do this? Can you fucking believe that people do this? I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and more than once, even. Yeah. <laughs> So she, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, she is going over, she and Chris are going over to, to Richie and Ted's apartment to be like, hey, like, we're not going to sell drugs to nine-year-olds anymore. Mm-hmm. And when they get there, they see that um, Ted and Richie are, in fact, gay and in a relationship and having sober sex, I believe. And yeah. they're, of course, because it's the fucking... 60s or 70s or whatever and i guess we should have also done a content warning for homophobia they're you know horrified and disgusted that they were ever intimate with these two gentlemen who are tainted by their intimacy with each other but in in more slur words than i just said Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so they're they're terrified like horrified and upset and angry and so they decide the only the only thing that they can do is to get clean and the only way to get clean is by running away to san francisco together definitely yes and which i was which i was like uh, to me san francisco like is drug like especially in the (laughs) 60s like there is no city in the 60s more associated with like drug culture than san francisco and at first she never mentions it. She's like, we're just going to go there. And then much later on, she's like, well, at least we never went to hide Ashbury. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, I guess, but like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so they go out to San Francisco and they have enough money saved up to get like a shitty little like, uh, like flat. Like a shared room. Situation. Yeah. In a, and but it's it's real gross there's like mold growing on the walls and they're trying to get jobs in stores because they know god remember a time in the world where if you had a job at a store you could afford to live right <laughs> but they have ex- to live and to become your own small business owner yeah the they- amount of money they talk about having i'm like shocked by even in today's standards yeah, yeah. i like, mean obviously they did, it wouldn't they did get- start with drug money to be fair they did start with their drug dealer money <laughs> But still, it's it's just, it's unfathomable to me. Yeah, um, no, totally. But so, since they have worked in a shop, they try to get jobs at a store, and the narrator gets a job at, like, a really bad job that doesn't pay great at a shoe store, I think. No, a lingerie store. A lingerie mm-hmm. store. I'm sorry. Sexy I can't believe I and forgot. bad. And then Chris manages to get a job at a hippie shop run by a woman named... Sheila. Sheila. Thank you. <laughs> um, and it's it pays better, and Sheila's like so cool and so worldly, and Sheila knows so many people that she helps the narrator get a job at a nearby store in a fancy hotel. Um, that's a yeah. jewelry store that is a guy who makes custom jewelry and like says that maybe he can teach her how to make jewelry too if she's gonna be there long enough. And they're like stoked that they have like the best life ever now. Uh, and cool and he's, Sheila. He's super nice and like invites them to dinner with his family and like clearly cares about his family. And then there's Sheila. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and and he, the jewelry store man, like, it's a very, like, fatherly vibe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, uh, but Sheila, like, knows movie stars and is so, movie stars who are all blank names. Um, and, uh, you know, is so cool and worldly and invites them to a party. And of course, when they walk into the party, they smell the marijuana smoke and they're like, oh no, what have we done? And what they've done is they get fucking hammered at Sheila's party. And then they continue to regularly get hammered at Sheila's place and crash there in between working at the shops. Uh, until one day they get hammered and crash there and then realize when they wake up that they had blacked out and while they were high Sheila and her boyfriend had sexually assaulted them and like beat them up hang on I have a quote pulled (laughs) it wasn't until later I realized that the dirty sons of bitches had taking turns raping us and treating us sadistically and brutally that had been their planned strategy all along, comma, the low-class shit-eaters. <laughs> Which, like, obviously, to just to be clear, obviously sexual assault is not funny, but this sentence is funny. <laughs> it's, it's so, and because there's no, there's no other repercussions to it. Like, it's never mentioned again. Right. I mean, like, they quit, uh, Chris quits her job with Sheila, but yeah, they, they're, because they've this, already this, had the worst punishment slung at them. This girl called them low class in her diary. <laughs> low class shit eaters. Yes. And the way that like, again, I guess I haven't done heroin, so I don't know. But the way that they're just so completely fully out of it. And then to like have this specific yet vague realization later. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. it's Man. It's very weird. Um, but again, like, they don't, there's no lingering trauma. There's no, it's never mentioned again. They quit their, their jobs and they start their own store together. Because I guess that's a thing that you can just do. They find a space they can rent and they turn the back into an apartment for them. And the front into a store where they sell things. And also they have a TV. So they charge kids to hang out there and watch the TV. So weird. It's such that a weird seems concept. to be the main commodity is TV watching in Kansas soda. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they, it's, it's also this weird thing where like, she goes back and forth, I guess, because this is written at the time that this is written, they were like, Oh, like, you know, war is good. And people who the hippies who don't want war are bad. So like whenever she's high, she's like, yeah, like I want like the true, like peace for everyone and no more war and everything's going to be great. And then like when she's sober, she's like, and then I realized that that was terrible. And really we do need to go to war for the economy. Like (laughs) it's, it's so I, it's, I, I, I don't, I, it's so much. (laughs) And then abruptly, and this is so strange because it's like, they've gotten rid of Sheila. They have their successful jewelry and TV watching store. (laughs) And then she's like, oh, but I'm sick of it. I'm going to go home for Christmas. And then they go and she just like, I guess abandons the business because she never comes back to it. Both of them never, like they both leave. Yeah, Chris goes home too. yeah. Um, and their That's parents I mean, like, did they just like did they leave the TV like what happened? <laughs> <laughs> they 
their parents are like really chill about it when they go home and when they say like oh yeah like we ran a business and we're successful business people now their parents are like oh wow like you guys are so successful but we're so happy that you're home um and she like is going to be back on the straight and narrow and you know it's going to be great and she like goes to like all these like Christmas and New Year's parties with the adults and the adults are all like, Oh, like you're so grown up. And she and Chris work really hard to like not fall in with the drug crowd again and like tell their parents like, Oh, some people are pressuring us to do drugs. So like, we'd really appreciate it if we had your support and their parents are like, great. Yeah, of course. And then when they're like, we need your support because of the drugs, their parents are like once are like, yeah, we'll help. And then again, after yeah, that, like, just they take don't. them out. They the two families get a cabin together for a weekend, and they're like, you know, we're out in the in nature, and you can't do drugs here. But then very quickly, once again, the dad is like, I'm busy with work. <laughs> Deal with it. By the way, I wanted one of the sophisticated adult parties that she goes to. Her dad's lawyer friends tell them the story about an eccentric multimillionaire s, which I I love the phrase multimillionaire s. <laughs> who left all of her fortune to two alley cats. And it's just this like random little, Oh, what's the word? Um, tangent where she's just like, and, and, and they were like four people paid to watch the cats and make sure they had every food they want. And I was like, that's the dream. Cause like the woman's rules were like, the cats can't be interfered with. They just get to live their lives however they want. Yes. <laughs> but also why was this included? Cause it's a symbol. <laughs> <laughs> teenagers drug addicted teenagers just want to be free but cared for like an alley cat but they want to wear yeah their diamond collars yes (laughs) so chris and the narrator uh they are like we said like the the second time they're like oh the drug kids are are on to us the dad's like oh sorry i'm real busy um, so they do end up doing drugs again, and because well, at the- first when they get back, the kids are like, "Oh, you, you're drug dealers. Can we buy drugs from you? You have." To- and she's like, "No, I don't have them." And they're like, "We have to find where we can get drugs. We'll beat you up." Which, like, what have you been doing for the last? Like, I don't. <laughs> there, these are very, I guess, lazy addicts. Like, <laughs> I guess is a stereotype. But anyway, so she's like, "Fine, I guess I do it to find where they can get drugs." And then she does, and then they're immediately like back in it. But also yeah. that at least made sense if like for whatever like their motives aside of what were you doing this whole time we were gone the bullying of you are my source for drugs and now you are no longer my source for drugs you have to get me drugs that bullying I understand. Yeah this does make more sense than the phase two bullying. So when it started I was just like sure this makes sense because I remember like they made her life miserable but oh, then this isn't what happened. So they, the one of the boys who they're hanging out with, who's doing drugs uh, with them, is arrested, and then they're busted later, and they claim that it was the first time they had ever done drugs before, and everyone believes them, including their parents, so they don't get in as much trouble. But then the narrator, the next section of the diary is just that the narrator's like in Denver. Okay, hang on, I got a quote. I'm gonna read. And this is the start of a dire entry. Like, here I am in Denver. When I was high, I just walked out and hitchhiked here. But now it seems crazy quiet and unreal. Maybe that's because it's still early. Um, So she kind of wanders around Denver for a while. She uh, ends up spending the night in a church. And the, the priest is like, hey, like, I'll call your parents for you. And she 
leaves. Yeah. And then she Religious goes... figures are always, like, kind and helpful in this book. Yes. Um, so then she goes to Oregon and starts hanging out with this other girl who is also, like, a homeless drug user in... Who's Bay? Also, this part of the diary, they're all dated question mark instead of an actual date. And there's a note saying that these were just found on like random scraps of paper that were like later found and reattached to the diary for publication. Yes. Um, So she like all of this is basically nonsense, like drug drugged up nonsense where she is talking just randomly about all sorts of random stuff. Um, and then she starts, uh, she, I think at this point, like, meet, meets another priest who calls home for her. Yeah, a different priest. Yeah. Yes. And she decides that she, what she wants to do is she wants to help kids like her. So she's going to go back to school and go to college for social work so that she can be a social worker and help other kids who, um, you know, are, are having drug issues. And I think also this point is also when she has this weird, like, queer adjacent experience maybe mm. but if it's... i may i feel awfully bitched and piss off at everybody i'm really confused i've been the digger here but now when i face a girl it's like facing a boy i get all excited and turned on i want to screw with the girl you know and then i get all tensed up and scared i want to get married and have a family but i'm afraid i'd rather be liked by a guy than a girl i'd rather screw with a guy but i can't i guess i've had a bit of a bummer Sometimes I want one of the girls to kiss me. I want her to touch me, to have her sleep under me. But then I feel terrible. Yeah, yeah it's a bummer. And by the way, and, and also she has also, like, I I felt like her quick friendship with Beth earlier also felt sort of like a crush. But in that sort of, like, 60s way where, you know, like, my my girlfriend, platonic girlfriend, but we're talking about it in a way that seems very gay, reading it from the future. Yes. So, she goes back to her family, she stops doing drugs again, and she's feeling great, actually. Um, she cuddles some kittens one night, and she's like, oh, now I understand, this is better than drugs, so I never and have to do drugs right. again. Yes. Um, she makes, like, a beautiful meal for her family, for her mother, for her birthday and her family loves it and she's like yeah like this is what i want yeah, this I want is all i need maker. yeah and then she um, immediately has a ass or no actually that's after she has the acid flashback she has the acid flashback she recovers by making the meal and then she goes back to school and everyone's like real shitty for her to her again yes everyone is pressuring her to do drugs again um and she is like and aggressively they call her, like mary pure and miss fink mouth Yes. Very hurtful, derogatory slang, Miss Fink Mouth. Can you like, believe? Bang into her in the hallways and corner her and like basically are just like, Why aren't you doing drugs anymore? Which... And then they keep planning drugs in her shit so she'll get in trouble at school. Which again, drugs isn't free. You're wasting your drugs putting in her backpack. <laughs> it's true. Um, so she her grandfather has a stroke and dies, and it's very tragic, and she's very upset. Um and she goes out there, out to her grandparents' house for the funeral, um, and then comes back, and her grandmother is going to move in with them for a while until she can sell her house and find an apartment. 
And during this, because everyone is being so mean to her and trying to plant drugs on her, she starts going to the college library where her father works to study. And while she's there, she meets a boy named Joel, who's like really nice and like walks her to her dad's office after they're done studying. And her dad like looks into him for her and finds out that he's like, his father died tragically when he was young and he's here. Um... And he's, like, working, like, two jobs so that he can go to college. And I think he wants to become a doctor. And, like, all of this, like, he's perfect and great and wonderful. And her parents love him. And they're, she's like, great. Like, I'm, I'm going to marry this guy. Um, so the... So then um, uh, Grandma dies also very quickly, abruptly. Of sadness. Of sadness. Uh, the narrator gets very obsessed with death and she keeps thinking about like worms and stuff. There's a lot of sort of like gross worm imagery in her diary entries for a while. And then this is like so abrupt and so weird. She, she goes to babysit this family that she's babysat for before. And then she wakes up in a mental hospital and has these like, these very confused sort of drugged out entries. And then we learn and she learns that someone slipped acid into her chocolate peanuts that she ate while she was babysitting. And so she is in like, um, like a juvenile detention slash mental hospital because the mean drug addicts at school have gone to court to testify that the narrator is a drug dealer. Yeah. It's confusing. But her parents believe her, and so does her doctor at the mental hospital and psychiatric facility. And, um... I think you mean the freak wharf. <laughs> and, uh, so she, she hates it there, but, like, at the same time, like, as much as she's talking about how she's hating it, she also keeps describing how it's, like, really chill and everyone there is pretty chill. So, whatever. Um... Yeah, um, a 13-year-old girl who <laughs> describes herself as a BP, which has a footnote, and then it says BP baby prostitute. This BP thinks girl thinks that, again, this is, like, kind of gay. She thinks that the narrator's trying to seduce her, and she's, like, down with it. But she's like, oh, no, but we have to find, like, a bedroom where no one else is. We can't just, like, have sex here in the in the main room. And the narrator's like, I, I just wanted to, like, talk to you. <laughs> like, that's not what this was. But. Yeah, she tells her doctor that she wants to be a social worker, and her doctor's like, a good way to do that would be to get the stories of kids here, which you think would, like, then become a big part of it, but no, it doesn't. Nope. Uh, <laughs> so she, she, her father gets the two girls, the mean druggies who had uh, spoken against her and claimed that she was a drug dealer to recant their statements, um, and kind of confess to what they did so that she's allowed to get out of the psychiatric hospital. So she goes home and she goes on vacation with her family. So her dad can do some lectures on the East coast and like, it's great. And like Joel wrote her letters while she was in the psychiatric hospital and her dad told her what ha told him what happened and he was really chill with it. And she it's, decided it's just like, she is recommitting herself. She's like, I'm, this school year is going to be my year and I'm quote going to get back in with the straight kids, which I know that like straight edge, like people do call non-druggies or straight, but she's constantly like worried about the straight kids in a way that's, that is funny. Yes. Um, and like she and her dad have their birthdays in the same month. They have, it's this sort of like nice setup of like, you can see what's happening. Like she's getting back on the straight 
and narrow and she has this goal like she's gonna go to college and help these kids joel comes her parents surprise her by inviting joel to her birthday party because he he hadn't gotten back he he had told her he wasn't going to get back yet, but he secretly had. And he showed up and he kissed her in front of her family. And her family was like, oh, that's so sweet. And like, they're not engaged yet, but she thinks they will be soon. And everything is perfect. So she's never going to have to keep another diary because she's filled this one up. And then it ends. And then there's a note from the editors that is like, three weeks later, the young woman who wrote this book died of an overdose. Was it premeditated? Was it accidental? We'll never know because drugs are bad and this is what happens. <laughs> and like, that that's it. Like, that's literally, she's like, my life is so great. And I'm like on the straight and narrow again. And everything's fine. And I am, you know, never going to need another diary. Also, now she's dead. And it it is just like again i said at the very beginning of this recovery is not linear it's not a straight line people relapse it's not a big deal when people relapse like i mean it is but it's also like it's it's, part of it it happens it's part of it yeah like you shouldn't shame them for it it's a big deal to them personally because then they have more work to do but yes but also like nothing very little in this has put the drugs has made the drugs seem actually addictive to her right it's just like the situation she keeps ending up in yeah like she's not like she never talks about like having cravings she's not like having issues or withdrawals coming off of the various drugs that she's on it's mostly just like oh like we were clean for like six months and then we went to a party and someone was smoking so like we decided to start smoking again like it's never like it, it, the it, it doesn't feel very realistic from an addiction standpoint. Mm-hmm. So then to have the ending be that like she has worked so hard, like even this last issue that she had with the drugs with the the bad trip that got her in the hospital was not like it wasn't her doing drugs purposely. Like it happened. Somebody did it to her. Right. So it yeah, feels the like only negativity beyond the social aspects that are tied to these drugs is that one flashback she has and then she has that super bad trip which we kind of glossed over when we said she got dosed while she was babysitting like Mm -hmm. she started screaming the neighbors heard they locked her in a closet because they were waiting for like the police to come and she was supposed to be watching a baby at the time and she when they like police did arrive she had like started clawing through the plaster and the wood and like her fingernails started coming off and her hands are super fucked up like she had a a bad time of it like it was not just like oh she got dosed when she didn't want to be and then she got in trouble because she was supposed to be watching a baby it was a super bad but that's also the only time that drugs are bad because like she plays piano and then they said it would be like a year before her hands were healed enough that she could play piano again because of how bad she fucked them up on her like involuntary drug trip. Yeah, it's it is it is a wild ending for the narrative that is set up so far in the book. It, and it I just... feel like with so much of this, there was a way to execute this. Like you could still tell essentially the same story. But in a much stronger way, I think you could still have like this ending where you're like the written narrative is she's on the straight and narrow again. She's got this boy. She's wearing a beautiful white dress and he's kissing her and life is good. And she doesn't need a diary anymore. And then she's dead. And I think there was a way to do that, but it was not this. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very it. 
I, I mean, like, obviously, as we have described it, the majority of this book is just wildly unrealistic. But it's just like, I can't help but laugh at this incredibly abrupt ending. And I'd never, I think I said at the beginning, I never read this as like a youth or even when I was selling books. Um, but this like, everything's great. And then the editor's note three weeks later, the narrator died of an yeah. overdose is I have seen it so much in media. <laughs> now I'm like, Oh, I understand what that's all parodying now. <laughs> and I understand the parody because it's so ridiculous. And, the, and by the way, the other thing is like, I feel like the drugs that you are most likely to overdose on, she, she wasn't taking them, you know, like I think like heroin, you're maybe likely to die of an overdose of, or like prescription pills, but I don't know. Can you overdose on acid? Like, I don't know. Like the ones that she is sort of like the most was like acid and pot. And I feel like those aren't the ones that you overdose on. I mean, I gotta imagine, I don't know much about LSD obviously, but obviously I feel like the more you take, the worse it is. But also it's not ever been an issue. If it had been like, Oh, I took too much and things were bad that time. I have to make sure I don't take, like there was a way to set that narrative so that that ending does not feel as ridiculous and abrupt as it does. Yeah. But here we are. Okay. It is abrupt and ridiculous. I, I did briefly Google it. Medical science, um, has not been able to say for sure whether too much LSD can kill. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe she so, was back on the tranks, you know? Mm, I mean, but again, yeah, that one would do tell it. Tell us. Yeah. <laughs> that one would do it. Um, should we move on to dramatic readings and just, um, just, just give you a little dose to get you hooked? <laughs> All right. I am going to do the first dramatic reading which is from the first night that the narrator does drugs accidentally at a party. Everyone sipped their drinks slowly, and everyone seemed to be watching everyone else. I kept my eyes on Jill, supposing that anything she did, I should do. Suddenly, I began to feel something strange inside myself like a storm. I remember that two or three records had played since we had had the drinks, and now everyone was beginning to look at me. The palms of my hands were sweating, and I could feel droplets of moisture on my scalp and at the back of my neck. The room seemed unusually quiet, and Jill got up close to the window shades. And as Jill got up to close the window shades completely, I thought, they're trying to poison me. Why? Why would they try to poison me? My whole body was tense at every muscle, and a feeling of weird apprehension swept over me, strangled me, suffocated me. When I opened my eyes, I realized it was just Bill who had put his arm around my shoulder. Lucky you, he was saying in a slow motion, in a slow motion record on the wrong speed record on the wrong speed voice. Okay. Uh, But don't worry, I'll babysit you. This will be a good trip. Come on, relax, enjoy it, enjoy it. He caressed my neck, my face and neck tenderly and said, Honestly, I won't let anything bad happen to you. Suddenly, he seemed to be repeating himself over and over like a slow-motioned echo chamber. I started laughing wildly, hysterically. It struck me as the funniest, most absurd thing I had ever heard. Then I noticed the strange shifting patterns on the ceiling. Bill pulled me down and my head rested on his lap as I watched the pattern change to swirling colors, great fields of red and blues and yellows. 
I tried to share the beauty with others, but my words came out soggy, wet, and dripping or tasting of color. I pulled myself up and began walking, feeling a slight chill which crept inside me as well as outside my body. I wanted to tell Bill, but all I could do was laugh. Soon, whole trains of thoughts started to appear within between each word. I had found the perfect and true and original language used by Adam and Eve, but when I tried to explain, the words I used had little to do with my thinking. I was losing it. It was slipping out of my grasp, this wonderful and priceless and true thing which much, must be saved for posterity. I felt terrible, and finally I couldn't talk at all and slumped back onto the floor, closed my eyes, and the music began to absorb me physically. I could smell it and touch it and feel it as well as hear it. Never had anything been so beautiful. I was a part of every single instrument, literally a part. Every note had a character, shape, and color all its very own and seemed to be an enti entirely separate from the rest of the score so that I consider it, could consider its relationship to the whole composition before the next note sounded. My mind possessed the wisdom of the ages, and there were no words adequate to describe them. That sounds cool. Let's do that at our next party. <laughs> <laughs> Post-pandemic. All right. So meanwhile, later on, in fact, on April 8th, today, Gran and Gramps arrived. We went to the airport to meet them, and I cried like a big boob. They seem to have aged so much, and I know I am responsible for much of it. Gramps is completely gray, and Gran's face is lined with deep furrows that weren't there the last time I saw her. Could I have done all that in a month? In the car on the way home, Gramps scratched my back like he used to do when I was a little girl, and whispered to me that I had only to forgive myself. He's such a nice man, and I shall really try, although I know it won't be easy. I must try to make them proud of me again. Later. I couldn't sleep, so I got up and took a walk around the house. Alex's mother cat just had a batch of baby kittens and I sat on the porch and just kept looking at them. It was a revelation without drugs, without anything but kittens whose fur is like all the softness in the world put together. It was so soft that when I closed my eyes, I wasn't sure I was even touching it. I put the little gray one named happiness up to my ear and felt the warmth in her tiny body and listened to her incredible purring. Then she tried to nurse my ear, and the feeling in me was so big I thought I was going to break wide open. It was better than a drug trip. A thousand times better. A million times. A trillion times. These things are real. The softness was not a hallucination. The sounds of the night, the cars swishing by, the crickets. I was really there. I heard it. I saw it, and I felt it, and that's the way I want life to always be. And that's the way it will be. Just kittens all the way down. Yeah. Look, I'm with her. <laughs> a little on the nose calling the kitten happiness, but you know what, Beatrice, do what you gotta do. Uh, I am going to be reading one of the question mark dated sections when she's in Oregon. And this is, again, like what I'm talking about, the difference in language here when she's she's a bad girl. As opposed to when she's a super good, gonna be a wife and mother girl earlier. Um, and also, it's one of the sections where we kind of see at least somewhat an addiction uh, and that want for getting more. It was one of the few times that happened. Oh, to be stoned, to have someone tie me off and give me a shot of anything. I've heard Paragoric is great. 
which is like an anti-diarrheal made of opium. I had to look it up. It's fine. Oh, hell. I wish I had enough anything to end this whole shitty mess. I've been asleep, and I don't know if it's the same day or week or year, but who the hell cares anyway? The goddamned rain is even worse than yesterday. It's like the whole sky is pissing on us. I tried to go out once, but my cold is so bad, I was chilled to my ass before I'd even gotten to the goddamn corner. So I came back and went to bed with my clothes on, trying to curl up enough so my body heat would at least keep me from dying. I guess I've got a high fever because I kept drifting off. That's the only bejesus thing that's keeping me from croaking. Oh, I need a fix so bad. I want to scream and pound my head against the wall and climb the damn dusty, faded, stringy curtains. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get the hell out of here before I really blow my cool all the way. I'm scared and lonely and I'm sick. I'm as sick as I've ever been in my life. I tried not to let myself think of home till Doris got started on her screwing life's history, and now I'm really falling apart at the seams. God, if I had enough money, I would go back where I came from or at least call. Tomorrow, I'll go back to the church and ask them to call my folks. I don't know why I've acted like such an ass when I've always had it so good. Poor Doris has had nothing but shit since she was ten years old. Her mother was married four times, and by the time Doris was ten and had humped with who knows how many men in between. And when Doris had just turned eleven, her current stepfather started having sex with her, but good. And the poor little stupid bastard didn't even know what to do about it because he threatened to kill her if she ever told her mother or anyone else. So she put up with the son of a bitch bawling her till she was twelve. Then, one day when he had hurt her pretty bad, she told her gym teacher why she couldn't do the exercises. The teacher had her taken away and put into a juvenile home till they could find a foster home. But even that wasn't much better because both the teenage brothers gave it to her, and later on, an older teenage girl turned her, tuned her in and turned her on drugs, then took her the homo route. Since then, she's pulled down her pants and hopped into bed with anyone who would turn down the covers or part the bushes. Oh, father, I've got to get out of this cesspool. It's sucking me down and drowning me. I've got to get the hell out of here while I still can. Tomorrow, tomorrow for sure, after the goddamned rain stops. At other points, she calls it the bitchin' rain, which made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, wait, did bitchin' mean something different? Right, because used... bitchin' means, like, cool. Awesome, <laughs> yeah. I was like, when did that transition happen? Or did this woman just not know how slang worked? <laughs> I feel like maybe bad. number two. I feel Could like maybe both. number two. Could be both. Who knows? Could be either way. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's move on and play some Would You Rather. Would You Rather. Tr- this is multiple choice. Would you rather try acid, LSD, <laughs> heroin, or pot? Are acid and LSD not the same thing? She lists them separately, and I also <laughs> thought they were the same, but maybe they're not. When I googled, can you die from acid and acid overdose, it did come up with LSD, so I think they are maybe the same thing. I mean, yeah. She I don't know. I'm pretty yeah. square, but I, I... was pretty sure they were the same thing. <laughs> okay. But Again, I, I thought so too, but she does list them. No, I, I understand the question now if that's how she's phrased it. Yeah, I'm pretty square, but I do live in a state where marijuana is legalized. And as I said, I live right down the street from a dispensary. So I'm just going to go with pot because that, like, I do at least know how to get that. And I know how my body reacts to it. And it's fucking fine. So I can't believe you're skipping all the gateway drugs and going right to pot. <laughs> just Wow. 
Yeah, I don't care for any of them. I've smoked pot once in my life and I didn't care for it whatsoever. So uh, in reality, I would just rather have a gin and tonic because I'm 90. But (laughs) if I have to, like, I'll do pot, I guess. Yeah, you do have to because if you don't, I'm going to stick it in your locker and I'm going to call the principal. (laughs) Stick it in the locker on fire, which like... What a move. Because even the principal was like, we know you didn't do this. You're not that dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to I'm going to try LSD at a party. And then maybe if I like it, I'll I'll jump to pot. (laughs) That's a good cautious route to take. Yeah. (laughs) Just being sensible. All right. How about would you rather. And this is the this is the meal that she prepares when she is like trying to be a good homemaker and she describes it in detail. Would you rather eat chicken, asparagus, orange yeast rolls, and wilted lettuce salad or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is of course the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie that only serves steaks and cakes? Um, you know, I would have to go with steaks and cakes. Uh, it it just, you know, obviously I'm very loyal to them. Um, but also I do just want a steak and a giant cake all to myself. Yeah. Um, I don't know what an orange yeast roll is, but I do just keep picturing the like orange and cranberry buns from Smitten Kitchen, which are really good. And honestly, I would eat just that. I don't care about the wilted lettuce salad necessarily, but also I don't really cook red meat for myself much. And so having not been able to go to restaurants because of quarantine, I would love a steak right now and also a cake. So I think I'm sticking with steaks and cakes. By the way, when she makes the meal, Joel eats seven orange yeast rolls. (laughs) I missed that somehow. Which not to body shame him, but that's a lot of rolls. I mean, there have been times in quarantine where I've literally eaten, like, half a loaf of bread, so I feel it. Yeah. Um, anyway, I also, I too was intrigued by the orange yeast rolls, especially after Joel ate seven of them. But, if, <laughs> but I'll just, instead of seven rolls, I'll just eat a whole cake. Yes, yeah. you know, same thing. Yeah. Um, let's move on to reader's advisory to suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to the eternal classic go ask alice (laughs) this is a weird this is a weird i'm not necessarily saying okay so long story short i was looking into the whole series of these books that beatrice sparks ended up writing these fake diaries and one of them jay's journal accidentally in the amazon excerpt they pasted the entire text of the book so i did i did skim read most of that and it is fucking bonkers and i would highly recommend if you are unfamiliar with it to just skim read free available on amazon apparently this (laughs) fake journal about a boy who does satanism because he wants a girl to like him and eventually ends up like doing magic sacrificing babies and dying by suicide because of it well and i'll tell you um friend of the show ariel uh also a Patreon patron, her nomination for this poll was Jay's journal. And she was like, look, I know more people are going to vote for more Ask Alice because it's more famous, but Jay's journal is way more um, unhinged and like a a better read. And I haven't read it, but I it sounds like maybe next year we should do that. Yes. 
Um, I, you know, just recently, my um, my coworker and I were talking about how in like the early aughts, Ellen Hopkins wrote all these like really long books about teens who are addicted to meth. And they were like bricks of books, but they were written in verse. So you could read them pretty fast, but feel like you read a really long book. And you just, the most famous one is called Crank, but there's a bunch of them. And you used to just not be able to keep them on the shelf. But now the teens are kind of over Ellen Hopkins. <laughs> and so I don't know what, um, you know, maybe drugs are canceled. Maybe teens aren't into drugs anymore. I don't know. I feel like we're ripe for the next big, like, YA drug craze book. And I don't know what it is or what it will be. Dorothy doesn't know either. <laughs> I um, think he knows. They're going to get on that nip. Mm, yes. <laughs> Um, but so I guess until then, like Crank is still out there, and also just just a shout out to my favorite uh, sad man prestige drama, uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, the two books that I remember from my reading about heroin addicts phase that I apparently went through is uh, Smack by Melvin Burgess, which is about two teens who run away uh, in England in the 80s and get like involved in the punk scene, but also obviously get addicted to heroin. Um, but I always did kind of liken it to this one in a way because it's about a girl and her boyfriend. The boyfriend has you know, like a really tough home life and a reason for running away, but this girl is very much middle-class safe and secure at home, taken care of, has no reason to run away other than like, it's cool, which kind of aligned with Go Ask Alice for me in a way. And the other one was Candy by Luke Davies, uh, which is Australian. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember as much about it, but I do remember I kept that one on my bookshelf for a while too. (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, when I was around that age, I did read Go Ask Alice, but it didn't really leave a big impression on me. And I'm not sure why, but maybe because... Like, we've definitely talked about Lurleen McDaniels and how her books are mostly about cancer kids, but she did also have, like, a crossover, and she would sometimes do drug kids. Um, so I read some of those. Anyway, yeah. we'll have those and maybe some other ones up on our website, which is, of course, worstbestsellers.com. Uh, and now we'll move on to our candy pairing, where we will suggest a candy to go along with this book, just the way... Someone at Steaks and Cakes would absolutely not recommend a wine to go with (laughs) Top water only. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My candy pairing for this book would be some pot gummies because they'll make you go on a wild Technicolor trip. Just kidding. They won't. They'll make you giggle at bad jokes and then go to sleep. Uh, I said just any candy that isn't secretly acid or an upper which is no candy ever, really, according to this book. When she's visiting Chris in the boutique, the Chris would give her these little red heart candies that turned out to be like uppers of some kind. Everything that's small and, and tasty looking is a drug in this book. Uh, my candy pairing is an orange yeast roll. Mm-hmm. Seven of them. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Do you guys remember, maybe this was just my school, but in our health textbooks, when it got to the drug part, there would always be this chart of like, pills next to different types of candy to show you that like drugs could be disguised as candy i don't remember remember this no but it sounds great well it was pretty funny sounds helpful (laughs) um all right now it's time for the rock paper snicked where of course kate will say who Dwayne the rock johnson would be if you're in this book and i'll say who wolverine would be if you're in this book 
Uh, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this weird morality play of a book, he would, I guess, be a counselor at the narrator's school who realizes that these stoner kids are, like, hardcore bullying her and suggests that her parents maybe put her in a different school or maybe, like, get the mean stoner kids some counseling that they clearly need or really in any way behave like an active participant in this girl's life when she is literally asking for help. Uh, and then, like, save her from being possibly bullied to death, maybe is what happened. We don't know. It's a big question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a point in this that the narrator makes multiple times that I think, I, I'm not sure if what the what Beatrice Sparks wanted us to understand from it, but she frequently points out how much easier it is for kids to get illegal drugs than it is for them to get alcohol and, like, if they steal from their parents' liquor cabinet, the parents will always notice, but um, they'll never notice if their kids come home uh, high on pot or whatever. So if Wolverine were in this book, as as someone who is affectionate towards teenagers and also um, doesn't give a shit, he would just get the narrator a fake ID so she can just buy beer and just sort of, like, have some beer and go to, like, those kinds of parties instead of having to do LSD and pot. I like both these. They are both good solutions to this problem. I think I'm going to go with the rock because I think the best solution is always providing resources, especially for those who are literally asking for them. (laughs) You you don't think a fake ID is a resource? It is. It is. It is, but I think this might be a stronger resource. Because yeah, maybe yeah, also yeah. he'd be like, what if you went to college and didn't worry about getting married right now because you're 15? Yeah, that's some solid advice from The Rock, for sure. For sure. Um, cool. All right. Well, good game. Uh, and now what do we think the moral of the story is? I would say that the moral of the story is don't accept candy from strangers or funny tasting Diet Coke from friends. I think the moral of the story is drugs don't kill people. Being bullied by people who do drugs kills people. But also, drugs kill people. (laughs) My moral is, it's probably okay to do LSD as long as you don't get into harder stuff like pot. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will share his opinions about the book. Yeah, Duarte, look, you are right. This It was very validating that she shared the truth that petting a gray cat is better than drugs. And and that's the meaning of how... Oh, okay. That's the me- Duarte just, like, curled up and knocked into the microphone because he's very cute and he's very happy that I'm sharing this, this truth about gray cats and how great it is to pet them. <laughs> and, you know, Duarte, while, while I do understand and agree with that, I am a little cautious about your tone, which seems to imply that uh, you would be really into it if Renata left you multi-millions of dollars after she died. <laughs> that feels, it feels a little like the beginning of like a true crime documentary to me. <laughs> and also, I promise you, she doesn't have multi-millions of dollars. I know it might be hard to understand that as a cat, as you get everything you could want out of life. Uh, but yeah. Uh, hey, Patreon patrons, next tier is <laughs> I can become an eccentric millionaires to provide for Duarte. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, Duarte, thanks for reading. Um, thanks, thanks for being better than drugs. I really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts? This is just, it was a lot. This wasn't a good book. No, it was not a good book. I would, I would agree with that. Um, it, it made me laugh. I highlight, it, I made so many highlights and pulled so many quotes because there's so much just like bonkers shit in here. It there wasn't was, a good book in that, like, nothing happened. I mean, obviously stuff happened, but nothing happened. And it didn't necessarily achieve what it was trying to do. Because <laughs> it made drugs sound baller. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, chill. Like, there was no, like, I cannot stress enough how much there was little to no addiction aspect of this. Yeah. Um, there is one hilarious quote that I did that out of context just made me laugh. Um... Later, I went to the library. Joel knew something was wrong, so I finally told him I'm coming down with a cold and feel miserable. The miserable part is true. He said I should take some aspirin and get some rest. Life is so simple for straight people. (laughs) (laughs) So true in so many ways. Uh, As a useless lesbian, I I feel that deeply. (laughs) Well, aspirin and my gray cat. Uh, my closing thought is just, like, Joe Biden won the election. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good closing thought. Um, Biden-Harris won the election. They got the most votes. They will be in the White House. They're all legal. They were, yeah. Let's Um, not trifle about legal votes, my dudes. (laughs) Um... I mean, my my closing thought on the election is still Four Seasons Total Landscaping, <laughs> but... <laughs> Wait, okay, okay. But, like, this did happen on an episode that I was on where I was like, I'm sick of the Christian Mingle joke, and so we made it the Steaks and Cakes joke, but what if the new joke is Four Seasons Landscaping? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would you rather go pay 50 cents to watch TV at a weird boutique... <laughs> Or go stand in the parking lot of the Four Seasons landscaping. Like, I'm sure it's not as useful as Steaks and Cakes has proved to be to find a way to tie it in, but also it's pretty fucking funny. It's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, Something to keep in mind. Keep in that back pocket. Yeah, we'll, we'll make a note of it. We'll see where I can go with it. Um, yeah, this is, you know what? I feel like this is a good... Um, just a good book to sort of end the year on just like these vibes of like it's been such a strange year that didn't really make any sense in the way that this book didn't really make any sense uh had some highs and lows we're maybe on a high right now but also who knows like maybe tomorrow the supreme court's gonna like put acid in my coke and i don't know Yeah, it's it's been it's certainly been a year. And actually, um, a, as a, a kind of a corollary to that. So normally we would do we would end the year with a two part best and worst books that we read um, in various categories. Uh, this year, partially because I have not even read close to enough books to fill out that list. Um, we're just going to concentrate on kind of the best things that helped us get through 2020. Yeah, so we'll do that. Um, you can find us. I 
you know where to find us. We're in we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. Um, we're on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because the S was redacted to maintain our um, anonymousness. Anonymity. Anonymity. I look. I haven't done any drugs, but I don't think I can say that word right now. Okay. Um. It was anyway. It was redacted just the way most, but not all of the names are redacted. We just we just redacted the S, and we thought that would be enough. Uh, I'm going with this. It's okay. Um, You can find (laughs) us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, Amazon has a podcast thing now. Any podcatcher, you know what they are. Uh, If you do subscribe to us there, we would ask that you rate and review us. When you rate and review, it moves us up a bit on the charts and uh, makes it easier for people to find us. And if you don't rate and review us, then we're going to put a burning joint in your locker and it'll set your (laughs) new coat on fire. Okay, then we're going to have to go buy so many joints. <laughs> <laughs> Where will we find them? Oh, wait, it's legal here. It's fine. But as we've established, drugs cost money. Yeah, we're going to spend all the Patreon money on joints. And I just don't know if that's going to be the most efficient thing. Speaking of Patreon, we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon's a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay Becca, pay for our web hosting, um, pay for designers to make us cool merch like the Rock, Paper, Snicked sticker that you can find uh, by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch. See, that was a real good segue that I did there. Um, Yeah, crushing it. All sorts of other designs there that you can purchase to wear our podcast on your body. Uh, And finally, uh, we have a Discord now that you can also get to by going to worstbestsellers.com if you want to chat with other listeners about all manner of things. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on social media at 14 Across. You can follow me at Enthusiastic, but I am locked and I might not let you because I might not feel like it. <laughs> uh, but you know what? You'll always have Becca's presence in your life if you're listening to the podcast because she is the wind beneath our wings, even if she isn't on air in every episode. She is the air. Very true. <laughs> but not the staticky ear. That's somebody else. No, those are the ghosts that plagues our recordings. <laughs> uh, so, Becca, thank you um, always for all your work, but also for joining us today and reading this book. Thanks for having me, I guess. I love when I have to do double work for the podcast. <laughs> uh, look, I'm going to send you some Diet Coke, and it's going to be totally normal, and you can just drink it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thank you to you. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks especially to the Patreon patrons who um, voted for this book for us to read and who supported us and who just just make me feel warm and fuzzy to know that you all exist. I hope you're all having a great day. And I hope that we are, too, by the time this comes out, because who fucking knows? Legit. Um, and we'll be back our next episode like Kate said it's not going to be a book it's just going to be kind of our year end wrap up in whatever form that takes for a weird year like 2020 um, alright so uh, thanks and bye bye bye, bye.